This is Fundraising Radio, and today is our guest speaker is Greg Dickerson, serial entrepreneur and real estate investor. And this episode, we're really going to focus on VC versus equity capital versus private investors and family offices. Which source of capital should you choose, and how do you reach out to family offices? So, Greg, uh, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on the maybe projects you're working on right now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a serial entrepreneur, uh, real estate developer. I started back in 1997 as a small uh, remodeling contractor handyman. I built that into a $30 million company and exited it and started 12 other companies along the way, uh, built them up, sold them off. So um, pretty much since 2011, I've been primarily a real estate developer and equity capital investor. So I, uh, I do I'm opportunistic, so I like to build projects ground up. I like to renovate old buildings, make them new, repurpose them. And I like to uh, buy companies and um, build them up and sell them off or roll up, um, you know, fragmented uh, market, fragmented companies, you know, throughout the country, roll them up together and uh, pool them and sell them off. That sounds extremely, extremely, extremely interesting. I'm so, I'm really looking forward to, to this talk then. Uh, so let's yeah. get started by this uh, question of venture capital versus equity capital versus private investors and family offices. Which right. one uh, fits which sort of companies, which sort of com uh, startups? So, you know, venture capital is primarily going to be for startups, although, you know, the other spaces will get involved in startups as well. But you know, particularly in the, in the tech space, you know, traditional venture capital is where you want to go there. The one commonality across all four of those um, investor areas is relationships. So raising capital is all about relationships. So a lot of people think, man, I have this great idea, whether it's real estate, whether it's a company, whether it's a, you know, software, whatever it is, they think they have this great idea that's just going to light the world on fire and they can walk into a VC firm and they're going to get all the money they want. And they're going to, you know, do an IPO and they're going to have hundreds of millions of dollars. And you know, so it really doesn't work that way. So it, it starts obviously with an idea. Um, and, you know, along the way, the relationships that you build are going to be the key to your success in raising capital. And it's and it really does boil down to the relationships and who you know. So if you have an idea or if you have a company or something that you're working on and you're going to need to raise capital, you really need to start, you know, a year or two ahead of the curve in building those relationships. And you don't necessarily have to reveal your product or need a product, but you want to start to get to know who the investors are, what are they looking for, and you want to bring the business opportunity or the product to the investor that's looking for that type of thing. So if you're in the venture capital space, you know, again, that's an early stage startup investor. Um, they're going to be hands on. You're going to lose some control. Some, some of the VCs want complete control. Others want to be mildly involved. And then there are a few that are more passive and they'll kind of let that founder go. So you got to decide what it is you're looking for. Um, it's not all about the, the deal always with VCs. Um, again, it's about the relationship. It's about the operator, their passion, their sophistication, their ability to deliver and their commitment, you know, to making that company, that venture, that product work. So when you're dealing with a VC, they're going to be looking at all of those types of things. And a lot of people want to go in and get as much money as they can. And one of the biggest mistakes you can make is over raising. Because if you raise more money than you need initially with venture capital, you know, then, you know, there could be a down round later, you know, to, to, to backfill that in. So you want to be careful. You don't want to raise much more than you really need. You don't want to go for the highest valuation necessarily because, 
um, that's not always in the best interest. So if you're squeezing the investors for the highest valuation, you know, that may not be the best path for that company overall, again, because they can, you know, they can always um, do a down round later and, you know, which will decrease the valuation of that company. So you really want to look for a fit, right? This is going to be a long-term relationship. It's going to be a strategic alliance with a partner who has relationships in the industry that can help you with what it is you're trying to do, AKA Shark Tank, right? A lot of those people come on board looking for a specific investor because of their relationships and their specific expertise. So raising venture capital is kind of the same way. Equity capital is a little bit different. Equity capital is generally uh, investors that are looking for uh, existing companies that have been, in, been in, in existence for a while. They have a proven model. They have a proven track record. They have a proven team. So they're going to come in. They're going to leverage their capital versus VC, who's usually just equity funding. Whereas uh, on an equity capital firm, they're, they're going to debt fund the bulk of the purchase of that company. And sometimes the, the founder, the owner can remain on board for a period of time. And, uh, and then they get, you know, their, their final buyout when the company exits. Um, so equity capital is very different. They provide a back office oversight solution. And a lot of times we'll allow that founder to keep running and making all the decisions with just some oversight, or they'll bring back office sophistication to an operation that doesn't have it. Private investors can be any of the above. Right. So a private investor is just an individual that has money uh, that might be looking to get involved in some early stage stuff. They might be looking to get involved in an in existing business. They might want to participate. They might want to be totally passive. Family office is the most difficult space to penetrate. And the reason being now they are a little bit more entrepreneurial than a typical equity capital or even a venture capital space. They can be a little bit more entrepreneurial, but it's going to take a lot longer to develop that relationship because you're dealing with legacy wealth. You're dealing with an individual or a group of individuals that are protecting generational wealth. So there's a lot more at stake. Whereas a venture capitalist, man, they're just kind of aggregating investments. They're going to win some, they're going to lose some, and they kind of dollar cost average that out. And if they win at the end of the day, they're doing good. Same thing with private equity. They're making a lot of different investments. They know that not all of them are going to work. Same thing with a private investor family office. They want to win and they have to win on every single investment. So um, they're going to be, much more difficult to get over the finish line. They're going to need a long-term um, relationship building process, and they're going to need to vet you very, very thoroughly to the degree that they're going to do private investigations, backgrounds, all kinds of stuff, because they, again, they are protecting generational wealth, uh, wealth that was built up, who knows how, how long, that needs to be sustained for how long. So first and foremost, with that investor, the most important thing to them is preservation of capital. Uh, so that's a quick breakdown on the four sectors. That's a pretty thorough and quick breakdown. I love that. So from that breakdown, it seems like reaching out to family offices is quite useless for a startup. Is that about what you're saying? Well, there are some that do. So what you got to do is find the ones that invest in early stage startups and start developing that relationship well ahead of the curve so that they get to know you, they get to know how you operate, what you're doing, you know, things like that. So there are family offices that do look for uh, tech-based startups. Um, some of them are in the CBD now uh, and marijuana growers. I mean, so they're, they're starting to get a little bit more entrepreneurial, a little bit more flexible, you know, so you just got to find the ones that fit that model. And there are conferences, you know, all of, well, there was, you know, before <laughs> this recent COVID-19 situation, they, they, you know, there's right. conferences all over the world for family offices, just like there is for venture capital. So, you know, you can start searching family office offices that invest in you know, whatever your startup is, and, and you'll find some on some Google searches and start to figure out who's looking for that type of opportunity. But they're going to be much more cautious. Right. So you said you started 
building out a relationship with them way ahead of curve. That's understandable. But what's your advice on building out the relationship? Where should you start? How should you connect? Uh, how do you do this? So, um, you know, across all the spectrums, um, you know, when you're establishing relationships with somebody, generally, um, you know, you can you can start it out by getting to know them and you just say, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a startup. Uh, most of your people are tech startup, right? Software tech. Uh, you mean most of the listeners? Yeah, most of the listeners. Yeah, goes yeah. Too. Most of them are. OK. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in the tech startup space or you have a software product or something like that, then, you know, you start that conversation by introducing yourself. Let them know that, you know, you're in that tech startup space. You would love to get to know them and find out uh, what type of investments they're looking for and how their investment process works. So that's how you reach out. And you, you don't pitch them. You don't send them anything. You just say, hey, I just want to get to know you. Just kind of find out what you're looking for, how your investment process works. Uh, and if there's anything, you know, that, uh, that I can offer you in the meantime. So that's kind of how you get to know. There is a lag, right? Yeah. Listen, you, you can hear me, right? Family office. So Greg, um, I think you disconnected for like 30 seconds. Oh, did I? Yeah. Yeah, we've had a little um, bit in and out. No worries, no worries. Uh, let's just I'll yeah. glue that part together when I'm going to be editing this episode. So uh, yeah. I'm not sure where to start now. Yeah, so we were talking about how do you de start developing that relationship. So you want to look right. for the family offices. Sometimes in a family office, just like there is in equity and venture capital and private investors, look for somebody whose wealth was created in the space that you're in, in tech or in software uh, or whatever, whatever it is that you're working on. Um, and they'll understand it a little bit better. So you reach out to them and say, hey, I'd love to hear about your story, how you built your company, how you raised your funding, and then how your exit went. So you reach out to get to know them and find out what they're doing, what they're interested in, how they got to where they are. So that's how you, that's how you start the conversation with private investors, individuals, and family offices. Now, venture capital and equity capital, they're all about the business, right? So you start that relationship again. I'm in this space. I'm working on a few projects. want to know if we can get a meeting. So they're going to want to know about the company. They don't care so much about their history, how they did. You know, obviously there's a little bit of relationship building, but the venture capital and equity is going to be much more about the deal. Whereas a private investor and a family office is going to be more about you, your story, the story of what you've done. But that's after you get to know them and ask them about their story and how they got to where they are and what they're looking for. Got it. So I'm pretty sure there are some people, I mean, I'm not pretty sure, I'm sure, because I know those people who are connecting uh, startups and similar entities to those family offices because they have those sort of relationships already built out. Do you think it's a good idea to reach out to these people? Yeah, absolutely. There are some organizations that put on conferences uh, that bring investors that are looking for um, opportunities. So, so yeah, it's absolutely a good idea to reach out to them. They do the first part of the due diligence on the uh, individual and their company and their product. Uh, so, you know, once you get through them, then they will introduce you to their network. And, you know, most of, like I said, most of those individuals, a lot of times will have, you know, hold conferences and meetings, you know, throughout the country right now, they're doing a lot of stuff virtually through their platforms uh, until they can get ramped back up again. But there are a couple of family office organizations out there that that's what they do. Right. Yeah. Actually, you've touched on a pretty interesting subject, especially for me. When I was just starting my uh, entrepreneurial way, uh, 
I was looking to pitch at some big conferences and what I found out that some conferences that looked just great, they were just way too expensive. So from $1,000 to three to $5,000, do you think it's worth it to spend this much money to just get access to this conference that's going to last two days? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the conference. You want to make sure you know who's attending. You want to make sure you know that it's a legitimate conference and they, and they are you know legitimate individuals in the space. And then look at who's attending to make sure that um, they are in alignment with what it is you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, that can be a very efficient use of your time and capital and, you know, a thousand to five thousand dollars in the whole scheme of things, if you're trying to raise 10, 20, 50 million bucks is really not a whole lot of money, um, you know, to spend to go there. So uh, that's one of those things that you just want to make sure you budget for because you're gonna have to do some travel and networking, no matter what you do, unless you're just in Silicon Valley, that's where you're at. And then you're just kind of making the rounds there. Right. Yeah, that's a good advice. But personally, I think uh, prior to going to anything like that, just try regular meetups that are free. There are LinkedIn. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, right. venture capital groups, family yep. office groups, investors on LinkedIn, uh, meetups, uh, Facebook. You, you can find a lot of them there and then just Google searching. So if you've got something that's really, really great and you know it and it's and it's it looks like it has a lot of promise. If you're the next Uber, you know, or the next Twitter or something like that. You know, that's going to be a lot easier. You know, if you're just another app and you hope to get bought out by somebody else, that's going to be a little <laughs> more difficult. Right. So actually, uh, here I wanted to ask you about your professional, professional background where you specialize, which is real estate. Most mm -hmm. of my listeners are, in fact, working in SaaS or just developing software and uh, similar projects. But some of them, for example, my most recent speaker, uh, is working in real estate. So what he does is that he lets house owners build small ADUs, so like small house on their backyard, mm -hmm. and then they do profit sharing. Do you think there is a big difference between, uh, do you think, uh, do you think, is there like a similarity between raising for a startup that has to do something with real estate and between uh, raising for actual real estate building? Uh, yeah, so the difference is going to be if you're raising for a real estate deal for real property, then, you know, you have a real tangible asset that the investment is going into versus raising capital for a company, um, you know, that may or may not be there tomorrow. So the real estate, when you're raising capital for real estate, the investment is going to be secured by that real estate and the investment is in that tangible asset. Whereas if it's a company that's going to be in the real estate space, you know, that company could go bankrupt and it's gone and there are no tangible assets behind it unless it's going to own those ADUs, you know, or something like that. So they are, they are two very different things. Um, and, you know, again, it's going to be about the relationship and about the business and the operator. But uh, at the end of the day, it's far easier to raise money for a real estate deal because it is a tangible asset than it is for a, a startup because I mean, everybody's got a startup these days. So, uh, that, you know, you're, you're, that's a very big pool to be swimming in. Whereas in real estate, you can specialize. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're really good at what you're doing, I mean, there's a lot of people in real estate too, but there aren't, aren't as many people doing that as there are, you know, in the startup space right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, you may be, you may be right here. More people are starting to get into the real startup. And here's, and here's the thing I would think about too. So the AD youth idea. Okay. Um, so I had somebody come to me that wanted to do modular homes for real estate investors. Okay. And like duplexes, triplexes and quads. And he's like, yeah, we want to, mm -hmm. you know, we want to build these modular structures because there really isn't anybody kind of in that niche. 
you know, for real estate investors so they can just have them shipped to their site. And they wanted to be, you know, the manufacturer, the distribution, the installation and all that in order to, you know, facilitate something. Same thing like the ADU thing, you know, we're going to come in here and we're going to build this, you know, ADU accessory dwelling unit. So for people listening, that's putting a building on your property, a small like garage, you know, loft apartment kind of thing, and you rent it out. So instead of being the individual that has to bring all that capital to the table to build that out and deliver that, what, what you need to be is the platform that connects everybody to it. So you need to be the Uber of that space, not the guy building that thing. So right. you need to leverage, which like Airbnb does, right? So you need to leverage, you know, people that want to do something like that. So you're just creating them with the technology so they can do it themselves. Yeah, uh, you know, so I mean, Airbnb kind of has a lock on that for people to have accessory dwelling units that they want to rent out. But to try to be the one that's building that and delivering that for somebody, you're competing with the owner that can do it themselves by hiring a contractor and they don't have to share the profit. And then they can put it on Airbnb. So that I think is an uphill battle, that that particular business model, kind of like the guy with the uh, modular. You know, I said, you need to be the platform everybody goes to where they can find modular home manufacturers and, you know, get all those get all those connections because there is no platform that consolidates that industry. So he was at a, he was at the incubator program at Stanford. And um, so he's, you know, working on putting all that together. We'll see how it ends up. Actually, the guy I was referring to, he is a YC graduate. So I'm pretty, I hope that he's going to succeed because I love that business model, to be honest. But here, I want to get back to your personal background. So you said that you've run multiple campaigns, I mean, not campaigns, companies from the ground up. Yes. In which space did you do them all in real estate? No, they were, um, some of them were real estate and construction related. And then a couple of them were restaurants and retail. One of them was a gymnastics trampoline cheerleading school. That was more <laughs> of a community-based project and I took a nonprofit, but still, you know, it was a business startup and I built yeah. it from, you know, very few kids in a small demographic to three, 400 kids in the program. And it was one of the top, it was the top program in the region. Um, had a very good, very gifted coach. So uh i haven't done a tech startup yet although i've consulted with a couple one is the modular home company the other one was a software for real estate investors to um you know provide data insights into their their business and track and measure kpis and all that kind of stuff so you know in the real estate construction space you know we're still kind of behind the game in terms of data you know that that's just huge for almost any industry now as everybody knows but you know big data is the future uh, you know, artificial intelligence that leverages big data. Right. So here I wanted to follow up on that and ask you to tell us your favorite story about your favorite company and focusing on fundraising process for it. So maybe there is like some really great story of how you accidentally met a guy on the street and he wrote you a check for a million dollars. I mean, that's off top of my head, of course, highly unlikely to happen. But still, is there anything like that? Yeah. So, you know, my first deal right out of the gate was an oceanfront hotel that um, I was building a house and uh, bought a lot from a guy and um, I needed more property because the house, you know, that we designed was a little bit too big. So I went back and I said, hey, can I buy half of this lot? We'll split it and you get an acre, I get an acre and we each, you know, kind of have bigger lots. So he said, yeah. And, um, and he knew who I was in the community and that I was a young guy building my company and uh, he said, hey, um, I've got this deal that we've been working on for this oceanfront hotel. We were going to tear it down and build some houses. Uh, we've, we've decided not to do it. Do you want to take it? And I said, sure. So I take the deal and uh, I step in their shoes and um, I start talking to a couple of friends. And lo and behold, 
Um, another developer who turned out to be one of my mentors, developer and investor from outside the area came in and uh, found out what I was doing. He said, hey, man, I'll fund the deal. You do all the work. I'll fund the deal and let's do this thing. And it turned out to be a you know, four and a half, five million dollar project. One of my first ones right out of the gate. And I didn't have to put up any money at all. That is epic. That one was really good. Uh, so yeah. I think at this point, what would be your advice for someone a lot of my listeners are actually 22 to 28 years old. And yeah. I imagine that many of them are just starting their company or think of starting their company. What would be your advice for them? What to do? So, you know, in terms of the world of raising capital, so in, in terms of starting a company, you know, solve a problem, right? That's where opportunities created. That's where big opportunities created is in solving problems. Sometimes it's from the ground up, it's a unique thing. Sometimes it's taking something and make it better, right? Take Facebook, make it better. Take LinkedIn, make it better. Um, so solve a problem, find a problem, find an, you know, uh, a gap that needs to be filled and solve it. When it comes to business and relationships, um, you know, understand business etiquette, you know, number one. So study business etiquette. That's the most valuable thing you can know. And in business etiquette, what I mean is wear the right clothes to the dance, know who you're meeting with before you meet them, don't reach out to anybody and say, can I pick your brain? Reach out to somebody and say, hey, I admire what you've done and what you've accomplished. I would love to hear your story and learn how you did what you did and got where you are. You know, I want to do what you've done. So find mentors. And that's the best way to find mentors in your space or doing what you do is to reach out to them and say, hey, I really admire what you've accomplished. I want to do the same thing. Would you spend a few minutes and tell me your story and how you did it? So never reach out and say, can I pick your brain? And um, before you reach out to anybody, study them, study their company, study their business, find out as much as you can about them so that when you meet them, you know, they will know that you took the time to learn about them and, and, you know, versus asking a bunch of questions you could have read on their website. So, you know, those are the little things that go a very, very long way in the world of business that, um, you know, a lot of times get left out, um, you know, in, in business school and things like that. Right. I think finding a mentor is just a great, great advice. Really helpful. And yeah. just do your homework prior to me is really important as well, because sometimes people just ask stupid questions. That's that's just human human nature, I guess. Um, I think we'll wrap it up here. Thanks, Greg, for coming up. Thanks for sharing your experience. Found out a lot of interesting stuff here today. And have a great day. Stay yeah, safe. you too. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. The main benefits of mentorship is a lot of times we have limiting beliefs. We don't know what's possible and all we know is what we know. We don't know what we don't know. So when you get with a mentor, they help you understand and crush those limiting beliefs because what one person can do, another can do. So they're going to open your mind up to things that you never even thought, never even imagined, never thought was possible. They're going to shorten your learning curve because they've already made all the mistakes. They know uh, all the ins and outs, and they've got all this life experience, especially if they're directly related to the industry that you're going into. So uh, a mentor is going to 100x uh, your learning curve and your path to wherever it is you're trying to get because they've been there, done that. They've made all the mistakes for you. So uh, it's, it's um, you know, the, the return on a mentorship relationship is exponential. Great. I'll definitely add that to 